Renata. I'm Rebecca and I'm a Jane slash Madeline. I'm Teresa and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie and we're here for the book club edition of Big Little Podcast or should I say the erotic book club edition. Yes. Yes. To talk about Leanne Moriarty's, is it Leanne? I don't really know what that name is. You're holding the book. I No, I mean, I know it's L-I-A-N-E. Leanne. Leanne. Yeah, it's Leanne. I just take a creative license with people's names when I read them so I just absolutely in my mind read this as Lynn Moriarty yeah. until I was faced <laughs> the book. I'm like, it's definitely Leanne. Yeah. I can read so well. I have a master's. Um, well, Leanne Moriarty is the author of Big Little Lies, and we put on our like first grader caps and read a book so mm-hmm. that we could do this podcast. Um, for this first episode, we're probably going to do about the first seven... I'm sorry, do I sound drunk? Because I am. And my tongue <laughs> is like twice the size it normally is. If you've listened to yeah. this podcast before, though, you know. You know what yeah. we're doing. You know it's about and to the, get good. <laughs> um, so we're going to do about the first 70% or so of the book, um, which covers the story leading up to Trivia Night. And then we're going to do a second episode just about Trivia Night, because that's where things get crazy. Um so there's not much sense in recapping this, I don't think, because everybody knows why we're here and what we're talking about at this point. Um, so we'll just start by covering some of the big differences in the text from the show. Well, right away, mm-hmm. the book is set in Australia. Yes. Peerwee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, which I was, uh, I'd say it was like about chapter two when I realized that that, <laughs> that was the case. I was like, oh, some of this language is a little awkward. See, I knew when they referred to kindergarten as kindy. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we're in Australia, aren't yep. we? Yeah. yeah and that, there's literal good day mates yep. in the text. So much I, I, Everybody I, called like each other mate I was, I was a little way. slow on the uptake. It's okay. Uh, I do not have a master's degree in literature. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was a preference for a recognized good day mate. It was straight from Australia. I know, have you seen Crocodile Dundee? That's really have you seen the Crocodile Hunter? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. But I, I guess I was so committed to the concept of Big Little Lies being set in Monterey. Yeah. That uh, so then that that led me to wonder like why did they choose Monterey like how did so you know? I'm convinced in the alternate timeline because Nicole Kidman is Australian that somewhere mm-hmm. out there is a version of Big Little Lies set in Australia where you've got like Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern doing like their best Australian accents yeah. to keep up with Nicole Kidman's <laughs> natural Australian accent and I want to watch that yeah yikes I mm-hmm. somehow can't picture Keith Urban plays Perry. Yeah. Ooh. That's the same timeline where Hillary's mm-hmm. president. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> We're in the bad place. Um, so here's one of the first big, here's a big difference that I think answers some questions but raises other ones, right? We learn that Jane had endometriosis and one, she didn't think she could get pregnant. And two, she was used to missing her period. So by the time she realized she was pregnant, it was already too late to have an abortion. Um, which is how she ended up keeping Ziggy. We also learn that her mom thinks he's Poppy. her reincarnated father. And Jane's um, family is a big part of this. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, that was interesting to me, to yeah. have this whole kind of 
you know, this family support behind her, which mm-hmm. I sort of suspected in the show. I think I, like, referenced that mm-hmm. in season one. Like, oh, well, I feel like her family must, like, help her out because we mm-hmm. talked about how she has a house, how she's running this house in Monterey and everything. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to me to get this kind of angle on Jane of being part of this this family and the mother character uh, who is kind of a little bit overbearing. And mm-hmm. uh, so... Jane. She's a typical 24-year-old's mother, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, she reminded me of my mom, which is yeah. probably why I didn't like her. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that this was one of the choices that the show knew what it was doing. I think by removing Jane's family, it adds to the mm-hmm. mystery surrounding Jane. Yeah. You wonder, you know, why a young woman in California would proceed with a pregnancy that was mm-hmm. from rape. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that I think keep you watching. You think you want to find out where that's been resolved. And the book obviously doesn't have the same timeline or objectives as a television show that's eventually, you know, it was originally intended to be a miniseries. Well, you're sort of answering one of my questions, which is, like, why did the show leave this detail out? Because it was a question we had. Yeah. I, th- I think it's Are you just... on board with her explan- with Rebecca's explanation? Yeah. You, you yeah. don't have to be. Yeah. No, I think I'm on board with that. No, I think that, uh, I, I think that you... You need with TV to have something to get people to to tune in hook, yeah. every week. Yeah. Whereas with a book, I mean, you bought the book. Yeah, you're you're, you're invested at that mm-hmm. point. Well, it doesn't really matter. You've already you bought the book. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that's done. Your your investment has yeah. already been true. Been very taken. true. So it doesn't matter. Uh, it, that's just it, it's a totally different. It also adds potential for future seasons. Like, you know, who's to say that we're not going to see Jane's parents this season? I mean, it is quite mm-hmm. likely that they will get brought in in some capacity. I mean, as far as the show is told, it's Jane's mean, orphan. Have, yeah, and we have Perry's mom creeping around. Mm-hmm. So it, could well, it would be, be great possible. to get... It's just going to be a whole season of grandparents. Yeah, I'm yeah, here yeah, for yeah. it. <laughs> Grander little lies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think another thing about the Jane character in the book that is interesting is that she is struggling with an eating disorder yes. following mm-hmm. her rape. And a gum-chewing addiction. And mm-hmm. a gum-chewing addiction, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the that, that was an interesting uh, character. So I'm going to jump into some of the book club questions from the back of the book right now because you're starting to bring some of this up. But... Um, so one, one of these questions says there's a lot of discussion about women and their looks and we sort of get the idea that Jane's mom doesn't really have very good body image. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, um, and then we also learn that it wasn't so much the physical assault that really traumatized Jane. It was the horrible the things, the horrible abuse, uh, horrible verbal abuse that Perry slung on her during this, which was to say you're fat and you're ugly and your breath smells and you've never had an original thought in your life. I just think some calling somebody yeah. out for having bad breath is like the most devastating thing you could yes. possibly <laughs> that say. That really to is. Like right? I would rather be called fat and ugly long before somebody would say you have bad breath. Like that yeah. is like the worst possible thing you could say to somebody. It yeah. does. That you're hooking up with. It you're implies like, that you're like dirty. Yeah. Dog-like. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's just like a, I think that was such a wise choice. Um, on the author's part to like use that as one well oh, of the things that, that like, damaged hit me her in the stomach when mm-hmm. I read that. Yeah. And and to jump around, I know we'll get back to that question, but to jump around, I found reading the parts of abuse between like Perry and Celeste and mm-hmm. the discard and Jay, it was yeah. so much harder to read and mm-hmm. have that live in my own visual mm-hmm. creation mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. to see. 
Um, the abuse was definitely more powerfully rendered in the book, I thought, than it, you know, and obviously it was very powerful in the show. I had a more clear vision also of actually what happened to Jane. Yes. Like, the the TV show really, like, it's really, like, kind of jumpy, and you don't entirely understand, and other than, like, an offhand remark she makes to auto, or to erotic asphyxiation, you don't really understand you get James yeah. exactly what in he her did. terms of right. flashback versus mm-hmm. the book is giving it to you in like a narrated right. like yeah this is, this is what happens it's, it's clearer yeah. mm-hmm. um but so we also learn that Madeline actually has very good body image she's kind of like over all these women talking shit about themselves even though she is just like a face full of glitter makeup and like high heels all the time do you find that interesting that like this person who clearly puts a lot of effort into what they look like also has really great body image because a lot of the time it's the opposite yeah that somebody who puts that kind of time in it's because they feel like shit about themselves yeah. madeline strikes or me because they're insecure and feel like they have to do it. right i think she's someone that dresses for women mm-hmm. and doesn't dress for men and i think when yeah. you're dressing for men that implies to me more insecurity that you're interested in what the male gaze says versus if you're dressing for women you're not interested in somebody saying well i don't really like your outfit you're interested in the woman that's like oh my god i love your shoes i think madeline dresses for herself yeah and in the book they she they talk about that like she is thrifty about, you know, she goes on websites and finds things on discount so that she can have all these fancy clothes. I think it's like just another one of her uh, conquests in life is like Mm -hmm. shopping well and dressing well. And it's her look matches her personality, right? She's over the top. And they full on describe her fit and flare dresses and the heels and everything Mm -hmm. in the book, just like what Reese Witherspoon wears her, that character. Um, Although there, I do like, I think if we got what Madeline is actually described as in as in the book, well, one, she'd have dark hair, I think. Mm-hmm. But it, it also sounds like she's got on, like, full-on glitter eyeshadow. And, like, it's well, not th- necessarily cute. It, I think that's kind of, like, an Australian thing, too. Are they a bit more over the top sometimes, I think, in, like... Well, there's... I think at some point she recognizes that, like, am I cute or am I tacky? Like, she says right. that in the book. And she's not really sure, but... Well, Jane describes her mm-hmm. in the first instance of the meeting as mm-hmm. a glittery girl and how right. Jane has always been attracted to glittery girls. Mm-hmm. And I think she means that more in like that effervescence mm-hmm. and that natural confidence that Madeline certainly has in spades. But I think the book sort of does subtly suggest that Madeline has some of that insecurity percolating beneath mm-hmm. the surface. And she is one of those like, well, we're not going to talk down about our bodies or women. I think mm-hmm. anytime that you're like a real champion and proponent of that, it's only because those thoughts have occurred to you on your own free time. That, mm-hmm. And you see the dysfunction in other women. Well, and you know, it's interesting with books because you, you have to describe a character if you want a visual you know if you want this like visual image of the character to exist in the reader's mind there are certain descriptives you really have to like go through and and hone and when you are reading a book that is has been turned into a movie or a show and you already have those characters right. in your mind mm-hmm. it's interesting to read something and even from the get-go I I was seeing different characters in my mind than, yeah. than the show mm-hmm. and I thought that that was really interesting that um, I didn't necessarily picture any of these women as those characters. Part of what I think reading. that's contributed to, and I think it was a, a smart choice in the book, that the obviously the television show 
leveled everybody up in terms of wealth because it's more visually stunning as an HBO show. We are conditioned with HBO to expect spectacle and <laughs> big sets and expensive billion-dollar wardrobes and all this nonsense. But to have the book is set in a much more sort of like middle-class setting. It's a public school. Mm-hmm. There's parents of all walks of life at the public school. And to have Madeline talk about saving money and, mm-hmm. you know, they both work, you know, Ed is a journalist mm-hmm. in the book and Madeline yeah. works part-time. I also want to ask you all if you think the economics of journalism works different in Australia. Because Can we all I'm, move to Australia? Yeah, like, sign <laughs> me up. Yeah. Because <laughs> I really don't think um, a journalist and a part-time marketer could live in yeah. the Australian version of Monterey unless But I don't think it is, is the different. Australian version of Monterey. No. It's not like they're in Byron Bay. They're but, in Pirouette. I don't know. It so does great. reference that it's pretty nice. And there's at one point where they talk about how this town and this school is interesting because it has the plumber know, the, who we see a lot right mm-hmm. the plumber and the these wealthy people and the then also like these yoga hippie right. types so it does seem like a mixed bag community which is, which is how monterey is sort of portrayed if you think about it because you've right. got nathan and bonnie though they still seem to be doing quite well for yeah themselves. Their house is <laughs> gorgeous um but you know in both cases, we still have the Perrys and the Renatos living in this yes. town. But I, I mean, at any like, beach town, I guess, is going to be It was like, more accessible for me. Like, yeah. I could understand Madeline better. I had mm-hmm. more empathy for Madeline than I did in the show because Madeline was such, like, a, a breezy, wealthy mm-hmm. woman in the show that I can admire and sort of look at her from, like, a mm-hmm. detached, like, you watch, like, an interesting creature at the zoo. Whereas, <laughs> like, this Madeline in the book, I'm like, I know her. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've seen this one yeah. before. I get it. Like, this is a glittery girl who might not have, you know, a ton of money, but is able to look like Renata. And do Renata better than Renata can do Renata. I also think it's interesting that, um, so the the women's issues that the book seems to deal with, obviously there's the abuse and the rape and all the things that are in the show. But the book chooses to go into, you know, eating disorders mm-hmm. and body image issues. Whereas in the show, it's all about, like, working moms versus yeah. stay-at-home mm-hmm. moms. Oh, there's also the aging issue. Like, the book yes. starts out, it's mm-hmm. Madeline's 40th birthday. Yes. And age is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Jane is 24 and mm-hmm. looks, like, very, very young. They talk about it in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that age thing was a big a big thing that they didn't necessarily tap into in the show but yet mm-hmm. we picked up on and talked about because you know some of the moms like Renata it, it, it you know Renata and Celeste are older moms because they had careers mm-hmm. and um that whereas like Bonnie and Jane are younger moms and so but I thought it was interesting in the book how age was another another factor mm-hmm. where the Madeline character has several moments where she looks at herself and is like, I look tired today. Oh, wait, nope, that's just how I look now. (laughs) We've all been there, same girl. (laughs) It was definitely more relatable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the the issues with um, kind of like image and body image Mm -hmm. and age and all of that, uh, maybe it was because for TV that's just not glamorous. I wonder also, it's probably hard to explore without the inner thoughts of people. Like, you can have people being snarky to each mm. other about the other moms, but it's not as easy to know that Jane is struggling with a eating disorder or that her, you know, that 
her mom has some body image issues and whatever else is going on. I think you're trying to like reposition the locus of the body issue in the show to like mm-hmm. Jane's general appearance. Like yeah. Jane mm-hmm. is dowdier than everybody mm-hmm. else. Jane's hair is not as cute. And I mm-hmm. think in the second season, we obviously have seen Jane's got a new mm-hmm. haircut. I think that they're trying to shortcut that by just saying mm-hmm. the Jane you saw in season one looked this way. Jane in season two is working through her shit, so she looks mm-hmm. this way. Whereas I've noticed that, that Celeste looks like less her hair yes. is less yes. perfect, mm-hmm. a little bit stringier, a little yeah. bit duller. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're you know the, the beauty of this book is the interiority that's captured, and these are pretty fully realized characters for mm-hmm. you know what is by for all intents and purposes kind of a beach read like it's not yeah, necessarily yeah. what anyone would classify as high it's a literature. very fast read i will say that it is but the characters are really human and really yeah. fully realized and i think that the fact that you're able to kind of unpack that informs the show in a way that makes me appreciate the show more and i almost wish in some ways that they had leaned more on some of the dysfunction that's happening in the book because i think it would have made it easier to connect and understand madeline and jane in particular i think jane is such an enigma for a large part mm-hmm. of the first season that mm-hmm. that might have might have humanized her faster if she had dealt with that stuff more physically on camera. Yeah, I just felt that if the show had done had Jane as she was in this book mm-hmm. and dealt with and had her family there and her yeah. eating disorder and all this, I I think it would have made Jane the main yeah. character, the main focus. Mm-hmm. And Madeline is really yes. in the show the main character, right? And she's second. To being the main character. Yeah, in the book. this was Reese Witherspoon's project. Yeah, so yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, uh, Rebecca, you mentioned how fully realized most of the characters are in this book, but there are two characters that we don't get to see as much of. One of which is Renata. Renata is absent. Yeah, Renata. Oh all, my girl. Yeah. <laughs> and Bonnie. So I want to know if. It, Bonnie is yes. downgraded full on to a talking head, yes. practically. Which well, I literally, think, she is. I do think that heads. was effective. Yes. So, do you think um, Renata is more or less sympathetic because we don't see any of her? I think she's more. Really? I, I was mm-hmm. feeling like Renata was pretty even keeled and level headed. I mean, there's mm-hmm. an episode in the book where uh, Madeline rear ends Renata and Renata handles it pretty well. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that. Renata seems more like a mother who's trying to defend her child mm-hmm. and is justified in doing so in the book, whereas mm-hmm. in the television show, it's like Renata goes from zero to 60 and then 60 to like 600 mm-hmm. and is just like a bitch on wheels. Yeah. And I think there was a little bit of a, a parody going into Renata where she was just going to be like this HBIC career woman that everybody's intimidated by, whereas in the mm-hmm. book, like she's a mother that's trying to figure it out just as much as everybody else. And yes, yeah, she's a career woman. And yes, that's a point of contention, but she's trying to protect her kid. Mm-hmm. I think... Renata, in in the show, the character Renata, you, you we had a lot like early on when you're watching it, like you you wonder, oh my gosh, is she involved? Because you you know that there's this crime that's committed, mm-hmm. and you wonder she kind of is set up for a while to be yes. an mm-hmm. a, a, like a suspect, or was she involved? How was she involved? And uh, in the book, like that's not even mm-hmm. it's not even on your radar. You think Harper's going to play more of a role? Harper, than Harper had a got, big role. Yeah, Harper. I think the show consolidated Harper and Renata's characters into Renata. Interesting, in yeah, because yeah. Harper definitely was the one that was provoking, and Renata's kind of like, yeah, I mean, Harper's my friend, but I think the bitch is crazy and is yeah. taking yeah. it too far. Like, yeah. Harper's the one that starts the petition. Mm-hmm. Harper's mm-hmm. the one that Jane gets into a physical altercation with, not Renata. So then mm-hmm. that makes you wonder going into season two what they're going to pull for. From, from the book, which doesn't have a sequel, mm-hmm. um, will Harper be, take on a bigger role? Will Harper step up and kind of mm-hmm. try to 
take on as Renata has been drawn into this clique, will Harper become more of an antagonist? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that Bonnie is the other character that we don't get to see a lot of. And you, Rebecca has finished the book. Carolyn and I have not yet finished the book. But you're farther along than I am. And um, in the book, she's essentially a talking head, which makes me wonder, as someone who hasn't finished the book, if the show follows the book or not in terms of the ending. Uh, Because if Bonnie's a talking head, how is she in on... How is she the one who pushed I'm a tap out for this one. I'm here as you guys yes. <laughs> have to say. <laughs> what, well, have I you gotten far enough to know? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. But um, I didn't even consider that. And mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed that since even though she was one of the talking heads that she, I mean, it's kind of a surprise in the show that she's the one who flies out of nowhere, mm-hmm. like, you know, this bat out of hell and just does that push. Mm-hmm. So I kind of assumed that that could still be the case, even though she was she has a much although yes she's one of the talking heads but you still get a lot of reference to her because she Nathan uh the daughter just kind of idolizes her Mm -hmm. and you see that even more in this book the Mm -hmm. connection that the daughter you know kind of idolizes Bonnie and is like oh well Bonnie does this and Bonnie says that um so I I thought I I didn't I, I didn't discount Bonnie as being but do you think you didn't discount it because you had seen the show first and you knew that Bonnie had a bigger role to play? I mean, I guess. If you hadn't seen the show and you were just reading it, would Bonnie have really jumped then on Then even the on my radar? No. Other than that she's, you know, Honestly, she wasn't in my radar on the show. Like, yeah. if you would ask me, like, which one of these bitches is going to push this guy down the stairs yeah. in the final episode. It wouldn't have been Bonnie. I yeah. would have lost that bet hardcore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really liked having her in the talking heads because it... It made you understand how annoying she must be to Madeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the talking head bites are just mm-hmm. these, like, oh, saccharine, yeah. enlightened. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that Madeline didn't, like, just forgot to send me an invitation mm-hmm. to this. Like, mm-hmm. and we were busy anyways. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, like, as annoying as Bonnie is in the, season, in the yeah. series, she's this much annoying in the book. And I think mm-hmm. that it's effective. I think you don't, you don't uh, credit Bonnie to have any sort of merit in the story. I think it's interesting in both the show, but even more so in the book, uh, how, at, like, good deeds, acts of kindness, mm. and how they're regarded. So Celeste, d- in the book, donates Perry's money. <laughs> I love this scene. To charities. Tw- $25,000. $25, she just sits down, opens her laptop, and donates to, you know, children, charities, and, and cancer, and anything. She just sits there and yeah. donates money. Yeah. And I loved that. And and But she does it because she feels powerless and helpless, and, like, she has nothing to help her, and, like, this is how she's coping, is by being this hidden helper and without being able to show us like the mcmansions with mm-hmm. the giant walk-in closets mm-hmm. they're able to say like perry is this astronomically they are so wealthy rich that they... she can write a twenty-five thousand dollar check and he doesn't even notice that i loved that mm-hmm. and then you know the character bonnie the the daughter says like oh well you know she's involved with amnesty international mm-hmm. and all this so and and meanwhile madeline feels like conflicted but madeline then you see Madeline like kind of try to do good deeds right there within her own community and among. So it's just an interesting, to me, that was like an interesting thing that I felt like was kind of highlighted in the book. Mm -hmm. And it was like sort of as these women who aren't always good people or don't always like make the Mm -hmm. best choices or in these situations and then how they're dealing with it. They do not default to kindness. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I thought that was really, I that was fascinating to well, me. Well, since we're talking about Celeste and Perry and their money, I thought one of the other interesting things is that we get a little bit more insight into Celeste's background, which is very sort of middle class, and um, we hear a lot about her fighting with her brothers growing up, and mm. that's sort of one of the things she uses to reason her way out of leaving Perry for a long time. And we also get to see, you know... In the show, we see her telling the therapist that she sometimes attacks Perry and that sometimes she fights back. But I kind of thought that was bullshit. That was just like something Mm -hmm. she said to kind of make Perry seem not so bad. But And it comes off that way sort of like 75% that way in the book. But then you also do see like her flying at him and scratching his neck and his face Mm -hmm. and like a rage. And you still understand that she's just defending herself. But you... But you at least see that and understand why she's saying And she that. articulates more her desire to provoke him. You mm-hmm. know, she says in the show, like, well, you know, this is like a sex thing for me sometimes. Yeah. So we like to see each other get angry. But you mm-hmm. actually see that at work in the book where mm-hmm. she, her, you know, she's trying to grind his gears to get a reaction out of him. And then she realizes too late that he's going to take it too far. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was powerful. And I think, again, that's a really difficult thing to translate into a television series. I think that the book, yeah. obviously, has got a, a step up in articulating that because we're forced to envision that in our own heads, which is obviously going to be more powerful than watching it play out on screen. Mm-hmm. As talented as Nicole Kibben and Alexander right. Skarsgård are. Um, so as long as we're talking about people's sex lives, sort of, um, <laughs> let's talk about Madeline's because in the show she has an affair. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gone. And it is gone in this book. And we also, um, she seems happier with Ed in the book mm-hmm. than she Ed does. is more of a dick in the book, though, right? Or yeah, was he, it just me? Like, he came across dickier. I liked him better. I liked him better. He just seems like he has more of a spine and he just doesn't let her, like, yeah. And he's not being weirdly defensive towards Nathan when you're, like... Yeah. Dude, bro, yeah. he didn't say anything. What's I also feel like his relationship with Abigail is more fully realized. Mm-hmm. Like, I mm-hmm. I understand now mm-hmm. a lot more why the show made some of these overtures, that there was something creepy going on with Ed mm-hmm. and Abigail. And I think it was just the show's, like, Trying inability to acknowledge, the, to acknowledge that a this, stepfather has a difficult uh, time with his stepdaughter. Yeah. And I think that they went about this in a way that made it seem like Ed was, like, to me, the first season, the first time I watched it, I mm-hmm. fully because I didn't know what was mm-hmm. happening, thought that Ed was going to be, like, the culprit and he was going to have done something to Abigail and mm-hmm. that's who ended up dead. Because he, there was just so many instances yeah. where I'm like, he is looking at her in a creepy, creepy way. And mm-hmm. now I think it was no, just, just because... that's just his face. It was yeah. just his <laughs> face. And B, that the show was trying to capture that, like, dysfunction of a stepdaughter step... Um, yeah, well, also we need to look at... Uh, they took away one of their children... Yes. Madeline yes. has a son. I mean, any child named Fred just needs. He had no purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was confused. And Renata has apparently also got a second uh, child who's also gifted a son that they excise. And I think that like making Amabella an only child was a smart choice. It, yes, it ups the ante of mm-hmm. Renata's like crazy protectiveness. Mm-hmm. If she had two kids, it's like your second kid is like who really gives yeah. a shit? You already yeah. have one. And yet the dynamics between Chloe and this brother Fred was something kind of, it was interesting because I think that that's kind of what, how they built this amazing character of Chloe that's yeah. in the TV show. Mm-hmm. And in the book, they describe, even though Chloe's younger than Fred, she like acts older and mm-hmm. takes care yeah. of him. And they're, uh, this uh, reminds me that Chloe does not want to be the head of a major label when she grows up in the book. And there's no, I mean, obviously there's no weird music drops, but it's such a bizarre thing for the show to have added for no reason. 
I, I thought about that, too, because Chloe in the book, while they do, you know, reference that she's very charismatic mm-hmm. and, like, draws in the other kids mm-hmm. and, you know, that she seems like the big sister to the big brother. Uh, but, like, also she seems, and she calls her mom woman in yeah. the book, but they talk about where that comes from, that she overheard Ed say mm-hmm. it. and then She's got a couple other, like, yeah, picky, like, oh, calamity. Oh, calamity, and oh, calamity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... The Chloe character in the book does seem more childlike. She's super into Barbie and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, whereas, like, in the show, they made Chloe as, like, this little adult who mm-hmm. I love. But maybe it's because music was such a big character and Chloe's kind of, like, that tie-in between yeah. a character that you can't put a face on and mm-hmm. have. And Chloe is the thing that makes that she's sort of Chloe's, the vessel that Chloe's that can the come justification through. for music taking... A front seat yeah. in the show. Yeah, I mean, she's you like need someone vessel. to turn the dial right. on the speaker to play the music while Abigail, well, Abigail, when Madeline and Ed are having the domestic on the beach, mm-hmm. or you need someone to put the music on when Ziggy is trying to hug Amabella. I think it's like a plot device mostly for the show. But meanwhile, Abigail is still just a raging teenage bitch, <laughs> yes. even in the book. Maybe even more so in the book. I was kind of hoping that the weird Amnesty International was created for the show. Yeah, I know. When I when I turned the page, when I literally turned the page on that, and I was I was like, oh nope, this came right from here. Crazy. Um, can we talk about the erotic book club for a moment? Yes, please. Please. Is that what this podcast is going to turn into? Yeah. Stay tuned. So we're just going to do a So I love when I, when I read this part where they start this book club, I was like, this is so wonderful. Yeah. We're having a book club about a book with a book club. I like, hope that they have the erotic book club in later seasons of this show. I mean, it seems like ripe for the taking. I yeah. love it so much. I'm hoping that that's something that they do in season two, that they take from this and and yeah. morph into that season. Instead of, like, the Avenue Q storyline or something, they have the erotic book club. Yeah. Because I love that Avenue Q was King Lear in the book. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> poor King Lear. Um, oh, although in the book, they, if I remember correctly, they're, like, having trouble getting people to even come, yeah. come see And Madeline King at Lear. one point is like, who wants to see King Lear? Yeah. Let's be yeah. real. Nobody in Pure Wee Beach. And she's saying, like, people want to see modern comedies. Yeah. Like Avenue Q. Yeah. You know? It's funny. But, um, so the erotic book club for the people who haven't read the book is like not actually an erotic book club. It's just like, they're joking that it's an erotic book club, but there are some talking heads who like have a stick up their ass and are like freaked out and think the erotic book club led to murder. But they do say that she did invite everyone. Madeline is spearheading Mm -hmm. this and she invites everyone to be part of it. Uh, which is big of her because mm-hmm. she already did that. She does that sneaky maneuver in the book too with the Disney The erotic eyes. book club is no different than any book club in that it's not at all about the book yeah. and much more about so people's So I never know. We're why. doing right. book clubbing yeah. wrong. This, yeah. 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 This yeah. is like we nerdy high level book club where we actually read the book and are reading the questions at the back We and do not have wine, enough. but yeah, we are way too sober for this to be a real book club. Uh, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a book club, though, and I feel pretty, pretty, pretty good about that. I have to stop reading the questions at the back of the book club because they're starting to give things away. And like, I cannot wait to talk to about the ending because let me tell you, there are some mm-hmm. differences and some exciting shit that I think could potentially lead oh, to season two stuff in season two. Yeah, my thought was that like there's going to be differences in at the end that get revealed in season two. A little bit, like open up questions for season two. Very much so, without Um, spoiling anything. So, um, we also learn in the book that Saxon Banks is Perry's cousin, which oh yeah, twist. Mm -hmm. Which okay, I must have 
between my first watch of season one and my second Wikipedia the show <laughs> because I fully thought that had been addressed in the show mm-hmm. and I realized on my second watch that it hadn't. You mm-hmm. just created that in your mind. Well, because I must have read the Wikipedia that was based oh, on the book and not the show. Got and, it. So I in my like, head this wow. whole time I assumed and then I was a little bit confused on the second watch because it was a good full year I watched the yeah. first season and then rewatched it for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, oh, they never mentioned that. That's strange. I must have just fabricated that. But so, this is definitely why. to me, that was kind of... It explains uh, why he came up with a ridiculous name, like right. Saxon Banks. Right. Like, who's creating a like, name like Saxon Banks? Yeah. Uh, but to you me, You go that, with John Smith. Yeah. If you're... If you need an alibi, people. Or a... Right. Because there's going to be, like, a billion of those yeah. and one mm-hmm. Saxon Banks. Uh Teresa and I watched this show together originally, mm-hmm. and as it's as you know in um, in the season one podcast, we said how she picked up on what was happening, mm-hmm. and I was just like, "What?" <laughs> so it, this in the book though, when that happens, that I mean, maybe because maybe it was a really big red flag because mm-hmm. I do know what happens, mm-hmm. but uh, to me, that in the book would have been a big red flag of, and I felt like Celeste deals with it in a very, like that's kind of Denial-y a... denial kind of way. Yeah. The other like, big thing is that Saxon Banks and Perry, um, their mothers are twins. Right. So mm-hmm. there's that whole thing that Saxon Banks kind of looks like Ziggy, yeah. which, you know, in the show is never kind of dealt with, even though and looks Ziggy like Perry. looks fully like Perry. Yeah. In the book, yeah. it's a little more feasible that Celeste mm-hmm. is like, oh, it's Perry's cousin. That's where that, because there's a yeah. line in the beginning where Celeste first meets Ziggy, where she's like, there's something familiar about his face and his mm-hmm. eyes. And of course, like, mm-hmm. when she hears mm-hmm. his cousin, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it also lends like obviously dramatic irony and other things to Celeste's like unpacking of the Saxon Banks issue she's like oh I've met Saxon so many times he's such a good mm-hmm. guy I can't believe he would do this and Perry would never do something like that so mm-hmm. I thought that, that was super effective and mm-hmm. I'm surprised that didn't work its way into the television series well so I think I asked you guys when we talked about this when we were talking about season one but there's you know a moment where they're all looking at Saxon Banks's headshot on the computer and you, it seems like you see a glimmer of recognition in Celeste, yes. and it comes yes. and it goes, and she never says anything about it again. And but I think this Saxon Banks cousin scenario is confirmation that she knows damn well, and she might be in denial about it, but she knows. But latently, she yes, has a recognition because yeah. you know who your husband is, right? Right. Like, how can you not know? at least suspect that he's using his cousin's name. Yeah. I don't know. So do you think Truth. that in season mm-hmm. two it will come out that'll be something unpacked by, like, Mama Perry and that we learn that Saxon Banks and... And that Celeste mm-hmm. didn't know he had a cousin named Saxon Banks? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. That yeah. would make sense. Maybe, yeah. It does seem, like, a, maybe strange that... You know, she was married to him for how many years and didn't know a cousin. But, you mm-hmm. know, you could have a, a massive family. My partner's yeah. got, like... Well, in the book, book, Perry allegedly has a massive family. A big, happy family, yeah. Well, I also think that um, had they done this in the show, it would have been a lot more obvious. Like, it's obvious to anyone reading it that it's going to be Perry. Like, someone ends up dead. Um, But because of the way they did it, where it's just like, oh, here's this guy who looks an awful lot like Perry. Yes. um, You can still have doubt, and so can she. Yeah. And if you, 
if you haven't picked up on the fact that Ziggy looks absolutely nothing like Jane, but looks an awful lot like those fucking twins and yeah. and Perry, and then now you're seeing Saxon Banks, who looks an awful lot like... Yeah. And maybe he's just, like, someone Perry hired to, like, decorate his bachelor pad once and just, or something. And saw, like, oh, this guy yeah. looks like me, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, for me, the cousin thing made me believe Celeste's denial more mm-hmm. because it was, a, you know, it wasn't like she looked at Ziggy and was like, he looks like my husband. It was like, oh, he looks like his cousin. Wow, what a crazy coincidence. Yeah. But, I mean, that's something I have to deal right. with. Like, I almost found that that was more believable than her looking at Ziggy and looking at Saxon Banks and like, hmm. Yeah. There's also, you know, she says that technically they're actually more like brothers than cousins because yes. their moms are identical twins. Yes. They also get the genetics of twins wrong because um, yes, th- th- there's a point where Madeline says to Celeste, oh, that's where your twins came from. Well, that would be true if her mother was a twin. Right, right. And she says, no, identical twins are just like a fluke because the egg splits, which is true. And fraternal twins is hereditary because, like, you're more prone to release two eggs. Right. But that has to come from your family, not Not the his. gut, yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. But um, thank you for the. That's uh, just me being Bill Nye the science yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but, also- but so I wonder if there's also a DNA cover for him there. Like interesting because Whoa. it's they familial DNA. Yes. Yeah, oh, like, we've watched too much Law and Order. I, mm-hmm. Yes, I, I like the Chimera. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the Chimera! <laughs> <laughs> the best episode of CSI to the ever happen. Episode of CSI <laughs> ever. <laughs> Stay oh tuned God. for our podcast on retroactive <laughs> CSI <laughs> episodes. Um. So yeah, do you think? I mean. Oh, Rebecca, recuse. Well, no, I'll you recuse myself. No, I was gonna say, do you think that probably doesn't come out? But um, like, could that be a reason to use that name? Because also, why would you want to get your cousin in trouble? Why would you want to use that name and get your cousin in trouble, right? So, unless you're myself. going, yeah. oh snap, it does come out. Now we know. Yeah, now we know. So, um, so he is using it as like some sort of. Like, you can't prove it's me and... Stay tuned for part two of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, after that, I'm done because I can't read any more of these questions without ruining things in the book for myself. Finish the book, and Mm -hmm. we will see you back for part two. Please plug our social media channels, which I can't remember right now. They're all Big Little Podcast Mm -hmm. on Instagram, uh, Big Little Pod on Twitter, and Big Little Podcast on Facebook. And then our website is www.thebiglittlepodcast.com, and you can stream us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Bye.